The following is brought to you by Braided Media. Hello, and welcome to the Made to Lead podcast, a show where we tell the personal and professional stories of amazing people of African descent who are leading in their own way. I'm your host, Aziz Garuba, and on each episode, I interview a dynamic individual and discuss their achievements, challenges, dreams, and aspirations, and the lessons they've learned along the way. These candid conversations are meant to showcase their superb talents and leadership philosophies with the hope that it inspires you, because you were also made to lead. If you're listening for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show. Also visit our website, madetolead.co, for more information about each episode. So hey, everyone. Uh, Thanks for joining us for another episode of the show. My guest today is South African multi-award winning jazz pianist and vocalist Tandy Ntuli. And she hails from a lineage of rich musical heritage. Since the release of her debut album, The Offering, in 2014, and her sophomore release, Exiled, in 2018, she's made an imprint on the global jazz community as one of the leading voices of modern South African jazz. To date, her many collaborations with various artists from around the globe display her fluidity in different genres and a notable characteristic of her compositional style. Her work has received many awards and nominations, including a Metro FM Award nomination, uh, a Boko Award, and a South African Music uh, Award uh, nomination in 2019. She's also the recipient of the coveted Standard Bank Young Artist Award for Jazz in 2018. So this episode was recorded uh, in South Africa uh, towards the end of last year, and here it is. So thanks, Tandy, for, for joining us on the episode today. I'm really happy to, to have you. First of all, I'm really happy to be doing this in person, uh, which is different considering how much uh, you know we haven't had the opportunity to, to meet and interview people in person because of the pandemic. So this is a great opportunity, and, and I thank you very much for, for doing this. Thank you. I'm very, very honored to be on your podcast. Awesome. Awesome. So, so I want to get right into, into the show, into you know, what we talk about in terms of Made to Lead. Um, and let's start from the very beginning. Uh, let's talk about your upbringing. Let's talk about where you're from. Uh, and then we'll wind our way into how you ultimately uh, got into a great career in music. Well, um, in terms of my upbringing, it was, as far as I remember, it was a very happy childhood. Um, I'm the last of five children. Um, grew up in a Catholic home. Um, and a very, very music-loving family. Um, from my father's side, his father was a composer, uh, and he just used to write songs that he used to teach children when he was a principal at a school in Soweto. And uh, my uncle was also a, a, a musician, and my aunt was also a musician. So the the element of music was a very strong part of us growing up, even though I was the only one at the time who was playing uh piano and taking lessons and doing it on a more serious level. Um, singing has always been a part of our family, coming together uh, when we have prayers, when we just have 
Thanksgiving parties, there's always been that element of music around us. And, um, you know, I think the, the, the music tastes, being the youngest of, of five and having grown up not only with my siblings but some of my cousins as well, I sort of absorbed a lot of musical tastes which were very different. You know, I had people who loved punk music, some who were into rap and uh, soul music, jazz. So I see all those experiences as very um, integral in terms of forming my taste in music and, and the trajectory of, you know, how I express myself creatively. Nice, nice. No, that that's really good. And and so so you've you've studied music uh, formally. Uh, you went to music school um, after after your high school. Um, what was the uh, decision making process like? Like, what made you decide that? Okay, you know what? I'm graduating. This is a a passion and a career that I want to pursue, uh, and I want to formalize it with with higher education. What was that that like? Well. I had been playing, um, as I mentioned, classical piano and doing lots of Eisteddfords, look uh, exams and competitions. Um, so throughout my schooling, I was always inclined to music. Um, it was in high school, I think my grade 10 year, um, when my choir teacher at the time, uh, Ralph Schmidt, he picked up that I was really, really talented at uh, writing um, and I even remember I kind of almost remember I don't know it's probably not an exact memory but I remember being in a practice room practicing some of my songs for exams and all that and thinking that it would be so cool if I could find a way to write my own songs um, so following that I tried doing some little compositions at school which I'd perform at school events and so my my, my choir teacher came to me one time and he was like, you've got to study music. This is really a gift for you. Uh, you've got to take it further. So before that, I hadn't really thought of it as a profession. I actually remember at some point wanting to be an actor and another point wanting to be a swimmer, you know, so I've, I've had many ideas of what I wanted to be before that. And I think that was really a turning point in in terms of really thinking of music as a profession. Mm. Um, and so post that, uh, in matric, having been encouraged by this teacher for you know over two years, he had a conversation with my father, and my father was like, "Yeah, don't fill the <laughs> child's mind with lies." <laughs> <laughs> um, but after matric, which was a very and I don't know if they have matric in in different countries, but it's the final year of high school. Right. Um, there's there's this heavy pressure, you know, in the last year of high school with getting your marks up with, uh, in, 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 the, at the time I was in a leadership position. So it was a really busy year. And my mom said to me, I think you should take a gap year and really clear your mind to think about what it is you want to do. Um, and then at the time, my sister who was living in the UK said I could come and stay with her for a while and I stayed with her for that year and really started getting a feel of how it would be to study at a university abroad, uh, which was my first intention. Um, I met a, a pianist called Francis Ovi. I'll never forget that. He was improvising. 
because I joined a, a, um, a gospel choir that my sister was part of in, in the UK just for fun. Mm. Um, and he was playing the piano, but he didn't have sheet music in front of him, which was interesting for me as a classical pianist, classically trained. Mm. So I thought he had memorized the song. And I asked him, oh, what song is that? Because it was beautiful. And he's like, oh, I'm just improvising. And I mm. nearly fainted. <laughs> I was like, you're improvising, you're making that up on the spot, you know um, And he said, yeah, so if you, if you want to get into improvising, you should study jazz And I think he's the first one who planted the seed of jazz as something that I would study uh, To help me with being able to compose and make songs so, so you mentioned that you know you you were always surrounded by music, even from childhood, even from from being born. Yeah. Um, when when did you start getting into piano? When was that first period that you know you you put your hand on the keys and and stuff just started flowing? How young were you when when that that talent came out? Ooh, I don't know if start, stuff started flowing. I started when I was four. Okay. Um, the reason I actually started piano lessons is because my mom loved the instrument. And I suppose having had children before that she tried to get into um, music lessons, she started them a little bit later. Mm. And she told me that someone had mentioned to her that, no, if you, if you want them to stick to it, try and start them a little bit earlier. Uh, but by that time, my siblings were already like, nah, this is not for <laughs> me. Um, and... I started at four, so I was kind of lucky in that sense to be the last born because she finally got her experiment right. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, after five tries. That's, exactly. That's amazing. <laughs> um, she finally got her experiment right, and um, that's how I stuck to it. I, I loved playing piano, but I also, there were elements of it that removed a, a portion of my social life. Not to mm. say I didn't have a social life as a child, but um, I did that discipline of practicing did get instilled into me. So I wasn't sure that I loved it, mm. <laughs> you know, and it was a lot of, uh, you know, negotiating. If I was not practicing, my mother would say, I'm paying a lot of money for this. We can take, we can stop. And I was mm. like, oh, no, I don't want to stop, <laughs> you know. But um, so there was always that love-hate relationship that I had growing up for it. Nice. And, um, you know, you mentioned the, the discipline uh, that it instilled in you, you know, having to practice and, and whatnot. Um, how has that, uh, or, or let's, let's talk about how that sort of played out, you know, throughout high school and university mm -hmm. um, in terms of also the social interaction, right? How did that kind of affect those aspects of your life um, in terms of, you know, dedicating a, a significant portion to music, mm -hmm. but also trying to have you know, what would be a normal childhood. Yeah, I mean, it was great. I'm so grateful for it. In fact, I I always think back to that and think, even if I didn't become a musician, um, it's so much a part of my DNA to be able to, like, self-motivate. I am generally not, I don't need someone to tell me to do something. I know how to, like, get up, do it, and I know that, okay, you have to put a certain amount of time to this and a certain amount of time to that. So I really appreciate um, the discipline. Um, of course, like I said, I had a very, very good balance. I did have a very lovely social life. Um, I just always knew that it was something I had to do before I do the other stuff, and that taught me 
kind of like to put priorities on certain things, um, time management as well. Because yeah. if you're waking up on a Saturday morning and your mother says you can't go play outside until you've practiced, you're just like, you better practice and you better focus <laughs> so you get it right so you can go outside and not miss out on what's happening um, with the other kids. Nice. Um, yeah, so I think it, it, it had a very positive effect on me and just generally how I approach everything. Okay. And, and let, let's fast forward to, to university. So, so you went to, to University of Cape Town. Yes, I did. Uh, for, for university and you studied music yes, I did. Uh, in, in university. Um, was there any, uh, actually, what was the uh, motivation behind studying it formally at a university level um, in terms of the impact on, on your career as well? I think that was mainly because my understanding of music was from a studying uh, point of view. Okay. You know, it was later in life that I met musicians who were completely self-taught. Um, it wasn't something that I was exposed to, self-taught musicians. Everything for me needed to be in a structured um, environment. Um, but as well as, that, as, as the fact that I came from a classical background and I didn't know anything about jazz music. Mm. Um, so, you know, subsequent to my gap year in the UK, I came back and I had already applied for a classical degree. So I, I literally begged them to let me study jazz. And that environment was very, um, you know, it was very important for me, I think, because Jazz is very different mm -hmm. in terms of uh, the way you have to think. It is very social, you know. Um, I was used to being alone and practicing all the time by myself, but it is a very social art form. Um, so I think it benefited me to be educated at an institution in that sense. Okay. Yeah. And um, at this time, like, were you uh, performing... Um, doing shows while you were in university or did that come later? It didn't come immediately. Okay. Um, I was still getting my head around jazz. So probably two years into university, that's when I started doing um, some small gigs in the city. Um, there were lots of jam sessions that I'd attend. Um, there was one at a place called Cafe Sophia. It was really legendary jam sessions. And there was also a place... Um, called Swingers, which was, that was actually for me, I think, um, the more crucial uh, jam session because that was the place where a lot of the living legends who were in Cape Town at the time mm. would go every Monday and jam. I'd see musicians like Mark Franzman there. I'd see Errol Dyers and Alvin Dyers, um, who are, you know, legends in terms of South African jazz music. Um, and that is very inspiring to see, you know. Anyone who's walked the path of being a jazz musician will tell you that seeing the music live, seeing your heroes live, mm. plays a huge role in terms of how it inspires you to, to, to get better. Nice. And, and speaking of, of inspiration, um, beyond those that you just mentioned, like who are some other people that uh, both, you know, living or, or past uh, that influenced your style of of music in 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 jazz mm -hmm. uh, and other uh, genres that that you found interesting. There were quite a few. Um, you know, I, I did mention that growing up, music was all around, and 
only in hindsight I realized that I did grow up al- around a lot of jazz mm. at home. Um, my dad was a huge fan of um, dollar brand Abdullah Ibrahim mm-hmm. um, and also Hugh Masigela, uh, Miriam Makeba. So that music was within me as well. Um, I fell in love with a pianist called Moses Molelegwa who really played the piano as though it was an African instrument. <laughs> and I really loved that about him. Um, I think, I guess also, th- when you're making music, particularly when you start writing your own stuff, the issue or the question of identity keeps coming into your, your work or mm. into your mindset. So um, his music really inspired me in terms of my thinking and my approach to playing the, the piano as well. Uh, Begim Selegu was another one who was really huge. I uh, fell in love with Andy Leyanana as well, John Coltrane. Um, and my first year piano teacher as well, Andre Peterson. Uh, you know, he taught me for one year, but he was really, really, I think, an important teacher for me because, first of all, he was an incredible pianist. Um, and he still is, sorry, not was. Mm. He's still alive. And he also used to speak to me about you know, philosophical things, uh, which I feel like in terms of teaching, specifically with art, it's so important to not just teach the technical things, but to share your perspectives on broader things, life, you know. Um, and he, 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 he imparted a lot of that on me. Um, he encouraged me to not be stuck into what the university will be teaching because... Um, there, there is a, a more rigid syllabus, but he he encouraged me to be open to all music, all art, and bringing that into my own expression. Mm. Yeah, very nice, very nice. Um, so you wrap up university. Uh, what what happens next? So I wrap up university in 2010. Um, I'm in Cape Town. I'm really enjoying Cape Town, uh, and at this point. I've been, you know, working a little bit in the scene, so I'm known a little bit, getting some bookings. I stayed in Cape Town two years post-graduation, uh, and in 2012, a friend of mine uh, called me and said, listen, Tandi Swamazwai is doing an all-women band um, audition for her band. I know you don't like the idea of women bands, but here it is. And so I, I thought it was like kind of a, d- a divine joke because I was just like, wow. I had an issue with the idea of women's bands because they were always pitched as something that's very silly. Mm. And I didn't want to be in a woman band for the sake of wearing a short skirt and a shiny dress and playing jazz. And everyone's like, ooh, women are playing jazz. <laughs> <laughs> but um, Tandi Somazwai sort of, opened up an audition because she wanted to see more female instrumentalists in the industry. So I auditioned, I got into that band, and that was when I just, that's how I moved to Johannesburg, uh, coming to her her band, playing, it was incredible, it's an artist I've loved since, 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 uh, you know, high school as well, Um, because she was part of Bongo Muffin as well as doing her own solo stuff, which was just, Incredible. Um, so that was huge for me, you know, getting my first gig, 
with one of my heroes. Um, and then I came to Johannesburg from then on uh, because I started in Joburg with such a big platform, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I think things started happening a little bit quickly when I got here. And um, yeah, the, there was a jazz. There was a jazz club that sh- opened shortly after I arrived here, called the Orbit. And uh, yeah, that encouraged a lot of original works and people writing their own music and putting up their own bands. And yeah, so so your uh, in, in in terms of writing music mm-hmm. as well, um, you, you mentioned you know you you learned about putting your own experiences and thoughts into it. Um, in some of the songs that you've written uh, or early on, before you even started releasing uh, uh, your your debut album, mm-hmm. um, what was where, what was the influences or what what were the things that influenced the music that you wrote, the words, the lyrics, or even just the the, the melodies mm. uh, for the songs that you wrote? So, a lot of the songs I wrote for my first album, I wrote them during my studies. Okay, and w- one of the things that we learned in um, you know, my, my jazz course is that in terms of learning and understanding the tradition, uh, imitation is, is encouraged. So I'd listen to a record. If I like it, I kind of transcribe it and learn how to play it and then analyze it, break it down, see what's happening. So that continual practice really got me into that thing of, you know, figuring, figuring things out as well on the piano um, and writing things that I was inspired to write from all that listening, from all that transcribing. So a lot of the work that I wrote really comes from that with a mixture of, as I mentioned before, identity, trying to write songs that really feel good to me. Um, yeah, I think it, it wasn't really... My first album wasn't very structured in terms of a theme. It was just a sort of introductory album into who I am, what I do, and, 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 and that album came out around uh, 2014. Um, what made you decide that, okay, this was the right time to release an album um, in, in, in your life? It's that itch, right? Yeah. So I, I, I had been playing in, in Joburg for a while, and every gig people would come up and like, where do I get that song? And I'd be like, oh, you know, haven't recorded yet. And... After a few requests, I, I just felt like, you know what, um, there might be a little bit of uh, resistance from my side, mm-hmm. feeling that I'm not ready to to release an album. But at the same time, there's a lot of people who want this. And uh, I actually even called it the offering because I felt like, okay, well, this is my offering. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be my best. It just has to be what it is mm-hmm. now. Um, and it's for the people who, who would like it. So that's what inspired it, really, to to release at that time. I had just been asked <laughs> maybe one too many times yeah. about where to find my music. Oh, that's good. And and wh- how was the reception when, when that launched? It was so great. I think it was such a great story, that one. I, I, I really appreciate the process of that album because I also uh, raised the funds for it to record. I did a, there was a lot of, very interesting and um, beautiful memories around that album. Mm. Um, it was self-released, so I raised the funds. 
I did a, a concert where you know the musicians sponsored their services, the the venue sponsored them, themselves, everyone basically sponsored. Uh, people who came to the show knew that I was trying to raise money. It was like a crowdfunding mm. type of event, um, and so that was already kind of like you know people were already on my side in that sense. The people who attended were already waiting for the album. Um, so the reception was great. It, it exceeded my expectations. Um, I don't think you can ever kind of foresee how mm. your music will touch people. Um, and that's one of the things that keeps me motivated. Uh, you know, there's so many people who DM or send messages about certain songs and experiences. And that kind of makes me grateful to have gotten over the fear of putting stuff out there mm. and knowing that your music's actually going to make someone's life a little bit better. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's exciting. And, and you know, c- can you share, you know, you, you talked about the experiences that you had in the album creation process. Uh, can you talk about some of those and, and, and so, you know, both good, mm-hmm. challenging, whatever they were um, during that debut album creation? The challenging... Um, was around loss you know i uh when i recorded the album it was actually three weeks after my grandmother passed away and it was the only grandmother i ever knew so uh it was really a a tough time for me and then a few months after that um my cousin committed suicide and that was really like it was a really tough time Mm. i think i actually remember the the day i found out i had just come out of an interview for the event for the crowdfunding. Um, so it was a tough year emotionally. Um, financially, it was a tough year because I didn't have the money and the money that I was raising was for the album. Um, so some of those experiences for me, I think, were very... They, they were almost like, I wouldn't say shattering, but they were hard to move through while you're, you're putting something out. But at the same time, it really felt kind of like they were there for me. Um, you know, my my grandmother's song that I wrote for her, which is on that album, uh, HT, that was the last song that I actually wrote for the album. Mm-hmm. And um, that's one of many people's favorite songs. That's one of the songs everyone's always like, oh, please play this song. Right. Oh, I love that song. So I'm always like I'm gra- I'm grateful that I wrote the song for her, and I feel like it's it's a way of celebrating her as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think the 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 good stuff that happened was just I feel like I had so much grace around that whole experience. So many people were willing to help me. Uh, there were so many things that could have gone wrong, did go wrong. Um, but people helped me and, and came together in whatever way they could. Um, the one was the venue. Initially, I had planned it at another venue, the crowdfunding at another venue, and they canceled at the last minute. Wow. And it was just like, what? <laughs> you know, people have bought tickets. What do you mean? <laughs> and then um, the Orbit then opened their doors and said, you can come and do it here, which, which was fantastic. Um, then there was also, I think it, it doesn't get said often, but the trust that the musicians had in me, you know, Mm. um, it takes a lot, I think, especially in our industry that's not regulated, 
people get abused quite often. Um, I appreciate the trust that the, all the musicians had uh, to put love into the project, to trust that I was going to pay them and all the other stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I really felt supported. Nice. And and so so from there, you know, debut album, 2014, great reception, great feeling. Challenges, of course, creating the album itself, uh, you know, given given the, the circumstance of loss. How What happens beyond that? You know, you, you're starting to get more gigs. You're starting to get more recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, what was all of that process like before you then release your second album four years later? Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh I got a few award nominations in 2015, the year after. Um, people really loved it. I forgot to mention the artwork was was the initial person I wanted to do my artwork, uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Mugwena, who used to run the African Freedom Station. He, I asked him and he said, no, I know just the person for mm. your album cover. I don't know how he knew it, but he put me in touch with the artist Mzwandile Butelezi, who also designed it for free. He was like, oh, I, I love, I've grown up loving jazz and copying a lot of art from jazz uh, covers, so I'd do it for free. This is my Amazing. first album cover. Yeah. He did it for free, and that album cover is so iconic. So many people have asked me for vinyl just because they love the album cover, mm. you know. Um, so there, there was that as well, and lots of people loving the album, um, getting nominations, uh, recognition. It was incredible. And I think uh, people may think that the second album, now running off to exile in 2018, mm-hmm. people may think that the second album probably came easier because I had this feeling of, I can do it now. There's so many different problems that come. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember a friend of mine told me that every every project kind of has something to teach you. So... Don't like expect to go into the second album with the things that you got mm. from the first album. The second album was just like, oof, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of, it was messy. Uh, but I also got the Standard Bank Young Artist Award in 2018, uh, for 2018. Okay. Uh, they announced it in 2017. And that kind of gave the album legs in terms of, the PR that surrounded it and um, yeah it was incredibly well received as well so since since your debut launch you, you've gotten to perform in some really amazing places you, you've been to a few countries around the world uh, you know Zurich you've performed in Los Angeles um, let's talk about the LA experience, um, you know, because because I think that that's very interesting. And, and how how did that opportunity come up uh, uh, to to perform in Los Angeles, you know, with, with and and even in front of a few A list, B list Hollywood uh, uh, folks? How, how did that come up, and what was that experience like for you? You know, I have such fond memories of LA. I'm sure you saw when you asked the question, I lit up. Yeah, um, LA is crazy. Uh, the the people who actually invited me through um, was an organization called the Nonsemble, and uh, one of the people who the actual person who was you know uh, doing all the logistics, Jason Sugars, um, he told me that he had met uh, Hugh Masigela years wow. back in in LA, and he was like, oh, you know, 
you should tap into the new age of, of, of South African jazz. Um, and he put him onto a bassist called Carlo Mambelli. Uh, and through that, he found Sia Makuzeni, who was also with me in LA performing. And through that, because I've recorded an album with her, um, he found me and my work. So he wanted to invite the both of us to come through. Um, he centered it around South Africa's uh, Women's Day. And it was an incredible experience. I mean, LA is just mind-blowing. It felt like I was in a movie every moment. <laughs> you, you drive down the street and you're like, hey, that's from that. Oh, that's from that. And then in terms of the musical experience, uh, the musicians are so great and and not intimidating because I, I know we, in the university, we always had sort of admiration for what was happening in the New York jazz scene. So... It was like intimidating because it just felt like, oh, you know. And I'm sure there's a different energy in New York than LA. But LA people, everyone is like, you know, <laughs> super happy, love and light, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I don't. I think it's the weather. I think it's the weather. It's the weather, but it's also the place, man. LA is amazing. Um, and so I, I got to, I got to work with a band there called the Catalyst, um, and they're sort of a music collective as opposed to like a band. Sometimes they're a bigger band, sometimes they're smaller, but they're a collective of guys who play together. And I also got to work with two rappers that side, Il Kimmel and Damani Ngosi, um, on their album. And yeah, I just went to so, so, so much. As, mm. uh, like art gallery, I went to, um, I watched Herbie Hancock live, which was just mind-blowing, mind-blowing. Um, and that experience of playing there, it didn't, you know, initially I felt nervous uh, because I'm like, Ooh, I'm in the home of jazz, like in the USA. <laughs> um, but people are very open and loving and, and open to the music. The audience was incredible. Um, we were hosted by a group of ladies as well who were just, it was just wonderful. It was very warm and uh, everyone just wants to show you around and take you places. So I really enjoyed LA. Zurich. Zurich. You had the opportunity to do a residency in in Switzerland. Yes. Um, how did that come about? How long was that for? And and how? What did you come out of it uh, with from an experience, from an you know uh, improvement skills uh, perspective? What was that like? I did, um, there's, a, there's an organization called Pro Helvetia, um, and they are, you know, an arts council of Switzerland, the arts council of Switzerland. They're stationed in different parts of the world, and they arrange uh, kind of different arts programs which promote exchange. Uh, and one of them is the residencies, the studio residency, which I did, which was a three-month stay in Basel, Switzerland. I was between Basel and Bern. Okay. And um, part of that uh, was for me to kind of have space to write, you know. I sent a proposal. The proposal got accepted. The, the nice thing about it is that there's no pressure to kind of fulfill what you put in your proposal. Mm. You can, like, have a change of thinking and whatever. It's just a space for, you know... Like, um, if I think about artists, maybe who 
were in the classical era who used to be commissioned to write something for the king or something. So it's like a space to write something. Um, and I think maybe that's a very European uh, culture, mm. which is great because it gave me space. Um, more than anything, gave me space uh, to start hearing my own voice again uh, in terms of musically, the things that I like, the direction I want to go. I got to work with some incredible musicians that side as well. Um, and before the, the residency, I also played at a festival in Bern called Jazz Vextat, uh, where I got to rearrange my own music for a bigger ensemble. Um, and subsequent to that, didn't expect to, but I released the live album as well. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, so it was, it was just a great opportunity to meet new musicians that um, I enjoyed uh, working with. And yeah, I, I think a lot, a lot has come. I've had some collaborations as well that have come from that. Nice. So let's let's pivot a bit to to some reflections um, uh, and and some lessons. You know, um, you know, you're 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 black African female jazz musician uh, performing in different stages. Uh, you know, your music is is heard around the world right now. Um, what were some, or what do you think are some challenges that black female artists um, have been facing both in the African context and, and globally? I think the female struggle is, is universal. It, it's not limited to jazz um, as an industry. I think what women experience in the corporates and in whatever workplace they find themselves in is very similar. Um, and I think one of the things that, I struggled with, again, it's a hindsight thing because at the time I didn't realize that this is problematic for me, but the, the, the amount of uh, history that is, is given that excludes women, those, those, that's one of the things that I really struggled with because later on there were some really important figures in the history of the music that I found out about, but I was always like, why didn't we read about this person? Mm. And, uh, you know, the conversation around representation has existed uh, for quite a while in, in, you know, the global culture. And uh, people understand that when you don't exist in, when you're not represented, a part of you feels like you don't belong there. Mm. Um, I think that might be, I, I'm not sure, but I think that might be why people don't see many women in jazz music uh, because the stories of women are not shared enough. And so because of that, maybe women don't feel like they belong in that space. But I think there are so many incredible uh, women, particularly instrumentalists, because singers do get put to the forefront, um, but instrumentalists not so much. That's one of the challenges uh, of being a woman. Uh, the other challenge is just also... I guess the culture of jazz is very like uh in a way boys clubby or mm. you know clicky and um it kind of you kind of feel like an outsider but you also can't get too close to a certain extent because of your own inhibitions with being um in a space with just men all the time um I know with mentorship, for example, there have been mentors that I would have loved to have, but I don't feel comfortable, whether it's from a cultural perspective, 
to be in their space all the time or just even just not feeling comfortable <laughs> with them as a person, you know. Mm. Um which is sad. I've noticed that a man if he if he has a elder musician that he's really into, he can just call him up and go chill at his house and they talk and drink whiskey and he shares his life stories and those things I think are less common. There are men that I have felt able to approach and there are men who have also taken me under their wing and you know like I play for example Steve Dyer I play in his band uh quite often and it's been great to work with him because he's an elder he has stories and experiences and a lot of things to impart that are beneficial for an artist on a whole but um I wouldn't say I can do that with everyone um which is something that is sad. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, let's talk about you know your your guiding philosophy or or guiding principles. Like throughout throughout your life, you know what would you say are a couple of things that have kind of centered you, mm-hmm. um, and you know throughout all of your experiences, there it, it it's sort of still there. Like and, and the philosophy that you bring to life and your music mm-hmm. um, that can you know that. You, you feel even when you're producing, even if other people don't necessarily recognize it, but it's it's something that's really yours. What 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 is that philosophy like? Mm, that's a that's an interesting question. I think um, the parts of my my personal philosophy around first of all excellence. I really I I really grew up in an environment of excellent people where excellence was celebrated. Um, you know, my I don't have a family that will say, oh, that's good, when it's not. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I have a very vocal family who will always give you feedback. Sometimes it hurts, but it's because they want you to do your best. Um, so I appreciate that. Um, another thing that I think that comes through is that I have a very strong spiritual, uh, you know, foundation. Um, I grew up, uh, Catholic, and I've always had a, a very strong affinity for, you know, learning more about um, spirituality. So I think that also comes through in my music. I feel like, you know, for a long time I had an issue with the, the idea of being famous and being well-known. I just wanted to make good music and, like, all that other stuff was just like, Ugh, you know. Um I've come to accept that sometimes when you do something good and lots of people appreciate it, it will come with fame. But fame is not really something that I've aimed for. It's more been about uh, how do I serve people with the music. I also think about that in terms of the music I write. Um, does my music build people? Um, what What am I saying? You know, uh, I don't want to just make music that is like like just for the sake of just it. for making music. Yeah. Um I feel like I should be saying something. I sh- I feel like it should be something that helps people. Um I don't think like that because I'm generally usually very self-indulgent in my writing. Mm-hmm. Uh but I also know that if I'm being really authentic and honest in my expression it's going to touch people. Right. Right. 
So what, what advice would you give uh, to a younger version of yourself so, or, or a young black female um, that is looking to probably even enter the same space mm-hmm. or, or just in life in general? What advice would you give to that young idealist person? Hmm. What advice? I don't know. It, it, I think advice depends on what it is particularly someone is struggling with. But I think maybe the one thing that I have seen a lot that we would probably struggle with as women is trusting yourself. Mm. Um, because, you know, we don't have any affirmation. We've got to be the one that affirms us, ourselves all the time. So I would say don't be afraid to work on your mind. Um, you know, part of part of why I feel I've been able to go through things because I don't feel like it needs to just be about music. I feel like working on my mind and my heart is a very important element of the work that I do. Mm. And working on your mind could be, you know, if you're into uplifting material, podcasts that put you in a mind frame, you know, everyone's got their their own way of doing it. Like I think of sports uh, people, a huge part of being a sports uh, professional sportsman or sportswoman is actually mental training and getting your head in the game. And I think that's, that's a part that we don't hear people talk about a lot. Even in school, mm. they teach you about the music, but no one teaches you how to like get your mind strong. So I'd say don't be afraid to, to do that. Brilliant. Um, before we wrap up, uh, we're going to go through a, a quick rapid fire session. Okay. Going to ask you five questions uh, and just, just going to give me your, your best and quickest answers that come to mind. Um, so what book are you currently reading? I just finished uh, Hidden Messages in Water. And who's the author? a Japanese author. I think it's Imoto is the same. Okay, yeah. cool. That's good enough. <laughs> um, what would you say is your favorite place to escape to? Anywhere with an ocean or water, body of water. Nice. Um, and who would you say is your biggest cheerleader or supporter? Oh, my mother. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. She, she made sure that you practiced all the time. Yeah. Excellent. And if money or resources were not an issue, uh, what would you do? Man, I would transform the arts in this country because I think there's so much that we can do in this country. Uh, we've got so much creativity, we've got so much talent, um, but we don't have much focus and money going to the arts. Mm. So I would definitely just turn things over on the head. <laughs> very nice very nice yeah. and would you say that you're an early riser or a night owl i'm a night owl definitely yeah, yeah. you do your best work at night um yeah it okay. depends which work music work is yeah. is best at night and then admin obviously daytime <laughs> awesome well tandy thank you very much for 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 joining us on the show today i really appreciate the time uh your work is super superbly inspirational it's superbly great uh and for those that want to listen to tandy's uh work i'll put links uh to this uh in the show notes uh you can find her music on spotify apple anywhere that you can stream music uh and yeah we really appreciate you and we know that you're absolutely made to lead in this particular space for sure 
and uh, we look forward to seeing some more awards and more performances uh, in the future. Thank you so much. It was such a lovely conversation. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Made to Lead. If you enjoyed what you heard, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts, and please share with others. Also take a moment to leave a review as well. This helps us improve and also get discovered by others. You can also support by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Made to Lead Show and by visiting our website, madetolead.co. If you would like to be featured or know an amazing person of African descent whose story would be inspirational to others, I'd love to hear from you. Visit our website, madetolead.co slash getfeatured and send us a note. As you continue on your own leadership journey, remember that if you don't spread your wings, you'll never know how high or how far you can fly. So stretch your feathers because you were made to lead.